Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And if you're staying with us, invite you to open... Oh, sorry, Amy. Ah. Um, Jude. Uh, Jude uh, 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles, apps, bulletin. Uh, we're beginning a new sermon series in, uh, in Jude. You can test somebody's uh, understanding or, of the, or knowledge of the Bible um, by uh, you know, asking uh, how many books of the Bible uh, don't ha- only have one chapter. And um, Jude is one, of those, is one of those books. And so it looks a little weird to say Jude 1 through 4, but Jude just has just, just 25 verses. And so um, uh, we're going to try to spend just a little bit of time this summer in Jude. And whenever I'm not preaching, uh, Josh is also going to be going through a, a, a small series through Elijah at various times throughout this summer. Uh, but as we're thinking about Jude, uh, so growing up, uh, my uh, football team had the state record for the longest winning streak uh, by, by a football team in the state of Alabama. Uh, we were coming off of three consecutive undefeated seasons, state championship uh, seasons, um, and, and then the wheels fell off. Um, not only did we lose the, the streak, but we didn't, like, didn't even make the playoffs. Um, it was feast to famine, and after the season, my coach said that he wanted to write a book about our failed season, and he was going to entitle it this, How to Pry Defeat from the Jaws of Victory. Um, and nothing went right for us that, week in, uh, that year, and coincidentally, uh, that also just so happened to be the year that I won the job of QB1. And, and so to be the, the first quarterback in four years to lose a game, um, and not only to lose one, but to lose like almost all of them, um, it was, it was a fun high school experience for me uh, that year. Anyway, uh, nearing the end of the season, one of the toughest uh, opponents we were supposed to face, toughest team in our division was Sumter Academy. And uh, we knew it was going to be a, a rough game. Uh, we knew it was going to be a fight. And so like, like, we knew it was going to be hard when like, our game plan consisted in our coach like, arming us with a secret play, a trick play. And so this was before the internet, this is before YouTube, uh, and somehow one of our teammates' dads found this play that some school way out west ran. It was this, this super secret trick play, and somehow, against all odds, my coach got a VHS of this uh, play, and he pulled the starting offense into this classroom before the game, and he said, guys, this is, this is what we're going to do. And he wanted us to watch, and we all had to memorize our parts. If we were going to win the game, like obviously, like this had to work, right? And so here was the plan. So, um, you know, football, everybody, the offensive line lined up. Everybody's lined up. Uh, and I walk up, and I notice the football. The football is not the football that I can throw. And uh, I start, I'm, the quarterback was supposed to start pitching a fit, yelling at the ball boy on the sidelines, telling him how he messed up, and he didn't give me the right ball, and I need a new ball. This is the wrong ball. Um, all the while, the ball boy, like he's in on it. He's shrugging his shoulders. I don't know where it is. He, he's lost our ball. And um, 
So the quarterback's supposed to say, and this is like an act, you're acting out here, right? The quarterback is supposed to say, well, well, fine, I'll get it myself. Hand me the ball. And so the center, instead of, you know, hiking between his legs, would just stand up with the ball and say, okay. And he would just hand it to me. And uh, everybody's just standing still. And I would take the ball and walk it over to the sideline, continuing to try to, I guess, chew out the ball boy. But before I got to the sidelines, I would turn it up and run for a touchdown. And that was, that was the secret play. Um, okay, so we, we, everybody had their parts. We knew what we were going to do. Um, well, we got to the game. And, and, like, literally, this is the first play of the game. Like, we, we got the ball first, and this is the first play. And here's what happened. Everybody got set. I noticed the ball. That's not the ball I like to throw. Started hollering at the ball, boy, you gave me the wrong ball. Uh, I, something like, you know I only throw Wilsons or, like, whatever it was that I, I said. And uh, the center stood up. He handed me the ball. Our whole offensive line stood up. The defensive line stood up. The linebacker stood up. And everybody's looking at our ball boy. And so I start walking towards the ball boy. Uh, everything's fine. Uh, so it's working like it's supposed to. Um, but, at, but right before I was supposed to turn up and run for the touchdown, one of their star defensive backs, maybe he'd seen the same play. He, he saw through this whole thing. And so he started running to tackle me. The jig was up, uh, and so I ran and got what I could, uh, but it wasn't a touchdown. And uh, so as you can imagine, since like, I mean, that was our game plan <laughs> for, for that game. Uh, now that it was busted, we had no game plan. And, and we were just at the mercy uh, fighting a team that was uh, faster, stronger, uh, and bigger than us. And they proceeded to put a beating on us. Um, Next year, we will come back and we beat them for the championship again. But this was a bad year for us. But all right, well, in the same way, and here's kind of what the point coming into Jude. In the same way, 2,000 years ago, the early church was faced against a very tough opponent. Um, not only were the Romans you know, and, and the Jews against the early church, but there were also false teachers that were sneaking into local churches teaching stuff that really wasn't the gospel, and saying, that, hey, this is, this is the, the gospel. And so they had enemies from without, they had enemies from within, and, and I mean, they, they were just going to war with the early church. And so, like my coach, the apostle Peter, in his epistles, um, he pulled the early church into the classroom, so to speak, and he said, look, look, this is what's going on. Yes, there, there's a tough enemy that we're having to face down, but just a heads up, here's the game plan. Here is your secret weapon for doing battle. And like my team, the early church failed to execute uh, the plan. Um, but, but here's where the similarities ended. Because unlike my coach and, and my team, like, we had no plan. Like, like we were just defenseless after our secret play uh, didn't work. Jude steps in and he says, look, now that we're here, now that the secret play got busted, now that we're in the fight, here's our new plan. And, and so here's how we proceed. Here's how we, we, as Josh said this morning, we win the battle of contending for the faith. And so that's the theme of Jude's very small yet very potent letter. Um, so with all that said, uh, let's, let's pray. And, and then we'll dive into Jude and um, see what God has to, has to say to us today. So let's, let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we ask that you would come and that you would claim the victory over our hearts and our minds and our souls, our strength. Uh, Lord, that you would capture our affections and attentions this morning to your word. Um, Make this ancient document, your inspired word, uh, pop in our lives today. And we ask this in Christ. Amen. So Jude 1 through 4. This is God's word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. Um, We're not even going to get to everything in these four verses, but this is just going to be our our intro to you this morning. Um, we're, we're calling this series Contending for the Faith because as we you know, see in verse 3, that very much is Jude's point uh, to this letter. Uh, Jude wants us to know that in this life, the life of following Christ, that there are some things worth contending for, that there are some things in life worth fighting for. And look, he's not talking about the type of fighting <laughs> that often happens within churches uh, where it's really just us fighting about our, our preferences, right? Our, our music preferences, our color of carpet preferences, our, you know, whatever it is. It, it's, it's a fight of our preferences, and we can get so caught up in that that we actually miss what we're actually called to fight. Um, the fight of contending for the faith, the message of the gospel that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And so if, if we are to, di- to die on a hill, it's, it's that one. So that, that, that Greek word in verse 3 for to contend is epagonizomai, um, which if you hear in the middle, it, it sounds a lot like our English word agonize, right? And, and that's the sense that it carries. It's this idea of athletes, of football players, of soccer players. It, it's this, this idea of that in an effort to win, and in an effort to contend for the championship, like you don't skip leg day, right? Like if you skip leg day, I mean, you maybe, I don't know, you, you wear your jersey, but you're not trying to win the championship. Um, you, you don't skip squat day. It, it, it's a fighter. It's this idea of a wrestler training and training and, and fighting with all their might. In other places, the same word is used to describe things that are intrinsically worthy of full-out effort. Like, if you're going to give it all, like, this is what you give your all to. It's, you know, you burn the ships, <laughs> you put it all out there. Uh, one lexicon even defines it this way. It's effort expended in a noble cause. Uh, or as Paul would put it, it's the good fight of faith. It's the good fight. And so Jude is writing the early church. And, and since this is God's inspired word, it's also written to us uh, today uh, to make us, to, to wake us up and to prepare us for this, this fight. And, and so we're going to do uh, this series kind of like uh, we're Rocky uh, and we're going out to, to fight whoever Rocky's fighting in whatever movie. 
Uh, but we're back in the, the locker room. And today is the pre-bout speech, and then we're going to get to round two, round, round one, round two, round three. Um, but, but, um, but this isn't like your typical pre-bout talk, you know, where the trainer is trying to fire up the, uh, the, the fighter. Jude doesn't say, look, you just got to be tough, and you fight, fight, fight. You go out there and, you know, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose, right? No, before we even get to the ring, Jude first sits us down and reminds us of, of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. It's, it's gospel grammar that we've seen time and time again because before God asks us to do anything, He first tells us what He has done for us. And then, only then, in response to what God has done, to His goodness and love, we then put on our boxing gloves, <laughs> we cue Eye of the Tiger, we walk into the ring, which, by the way, is our lives, it's, it's this church, uh, to contend for the faith. So, as we begin our time of Jude, again, see this as our pre-bout preparation. So, two things this morning. Uh, first, just some background information about Jude. Um, and then second, uh, who does Jude call to contend? Like, like who of us are called to, to fight? Uh, because it may not be everybody. It may be. We'll find out. So first, uh, background. You know, though Jude is only 25 verses, it's probably one of the most um, understudied books in the Bible. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll get to some of those as we go through the, the study. Um, and so for us to best understand what's going on, we first have to answer, like, what is the letter of Jude? Um, well, a little history so in, in seven, I don't know, and I realize some of y'all love this, and some of y'all don't like this, so just, this is like one minute, okay? It's just hang in there. In, in 722 B.C., long time ago, uh, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, the, the kingdom that was called Israel. Remember, it was a divided kingdom uh, called Israel. And at that point, the Jews of Israel, they were dispersed throughout the Middle East. That, that, that was not their home anymore, um, and then in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they came through and finally captured the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. And, and they took the Judeans back to Babylon, called the Babylonian Captivity. This is Daniel and all his buddies. And uh, in Jewish history, this was the beginning of what, what they called the diaspora, or the dispersion of, of the Jews Okay, well, these were crazy times because, as you know from Daniel and from history, they weren't in Babylon that long before the Persians rolled in, right? And the Persians conquered Babylon, and the Persian leader, uh, Cyrus the Great, said, well, y'all can just go, back to, y'all just go back home to Jerusalem. And uh, some did. And remember, that's what really Malachi, we just finished Malachi. Malachi was written to those who came back to Jerusalem from Babylon uh, but not everybody went back home. Some people just stayed in Babylon. They kind of liked it there. So fast forward then to Jesus' day. And though at this point now, there are Jews back in Israel, but now they're under Roman rule. And because of that, they various persecutions and various problems, uh, they continue to spread out to other places. Kind of like we're seeing you know, out west, a lot of people are leaving California and the west coast to move to Texas or Tennessee similar deal. They're just, let's go somewhere else. And that continued until 70 AD when the Jews said, all right, enough's enough. And they revolted against the Romans. And the Romans not only squashed the revolt, but they destroyed the temple and they like literally, they, they wiped uh, Judea from the map. 
They, they annexed the promised land, and they said, this is our land now. This is Roman territory. And then they systematically drove the Jews from Palestine. So, so pushed them out. All right, well, in Galatians, we, we find that Paul, you know, the famed missionary, the apostle Paul, was sent as a missionary to the Gentiles. And so most of his letters are, well, all of his letters were addressed to Gentile churches. And we love that because we're Gentiles, right? We love Paul. Uh, but in all the excitement of Paul, it's easy to forget that Gentiles weren't the only ones being saved during this time, right? Uh, that many of the apostles' primary ministry were to Jewish Christians. That there were, there were, also, there were also congregations of Jewish Christians around this, the, the area um, that were also rising up. So, so people, they were people who were Jews that believed that Jesus was their Savior. And so in the New Testament, not only do we have Paul's letters to the Gentiles, but we also have five books uh, that were written to Jewish Christians or Jewish congregations. And um, those Jewish epistles, they're, they're uh, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, and then Jude. And so, so Jude is a Jewish epistle. Um, but even then, even of the Jewish epistles, it's, it's very, it's unique for several reasons. And so I'm just going to give you seven this morning. They're, these are quick. Uh, first, Jude is very poetic. Um, Jude uses this poetic device called triads, or it's, it's a thought expressed in threes, and it would be something like this. If I were to ask you uh, or ask Gary or something like, how are you doing? And uh, Gary would say something like, pretty good, fine, not so bad. Um, that's a triad. It's, you know, it's three things explaining one thing. Um, well, in a letter of 25 verses, Jude uses 14 triads. And so, I mean, extremely poetic uh, language. He's, a, you know, obviously a skilled writer. A second unique thing, this is the only letter in the New Testament that is not written nor sourced by an apostle. Um, and so this, real quick also, uh, you know, like St. Jude's Hospital up in Memphis this is not the same Jude that St. Jude is named after. St. Jude, I think, is named after Thaddeus the disciple, right? Um, this is Jude, a, a, different, a, a different Jude. Um, now, we do know from the New Testament that this Jude was a traveling evangelist, that he traveled around the ancient world, and that he uh, always, his wife traveled with him. Um, and so it's possible that he was accompanied by an uh, uh, apostle, just like Luke was accompanied by Paul. Um, and so that would give, you know, apostolic weight to this. But, but regardless, this, early, this letter was received by the early church as God's Word, and, and so we receive it as, as inspired as God's Word. Um, third, uh, Judas is one of only two Bible authors who can claim a, uh, a family connection to Jesus. In, in Matthew 13, we're told that Jesus had well, at least four brothers, they mentioned James, Jophus, uh, jo Jophus, James, Joseph, <laughs> Simon, and Jude. And, and what's interesting is if you've read James, you know, neither James nor Jude play the family card. Because you would think that, I mean, how great would that be like, we're Jesus' brother. Uh, how much clout they could give them, but they'd never leverage that. Um, rather, they simply said, look, we're slaves to Christ. Like, we're here to serve Christ and part of that could be just because maybe it was embarrassing to them. I mean, they, they grew up in the same house as the Messiah. They played hide-and-seek with Jesus. 
And, and, and yet they didn't realize he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Maybe this, was, maybe this detracted from their credibility. And, and so they instead cho- chose to emphasize their spiritual relationship with Jesus. And besides, remember, Jesus said that the spiritual relationships trump earthly family relationships anyway. Um, as one pastor said, James and Jude weren't Jesus' brothers until they weren't his brothers while they were unbelievers. But once they believed, then Jesus was truly their brother. Okay, fourth, um, Jude is unique uh, because of how heavily it quotes uh, another uh, book of the Bible, uh, primarily, or another letter of Scripture, primarily Peter. Um, of Jude's, get this, of Jude's 25 verses. He quotes from 2 Peter 13 times. It's like over half. Uh, someone joked that if he quoted 2 Peter anymore, we could just call this 3 Peter, <laughs> this, the book of Jude. Uh, but again, Jude is writing to say, look, Peter told you this was going to happen. He told you this was going to happen, and now I'm telling you, it's happened. Uh, fifth, and this is uh, just a fun fact, and this probably should have been first, uh, but um, the author's name isn't Jude. Jude did not even write this. Um, in fact, Jude isn't even a real name. Do you know that? Uh, so his Hebrew name was Judah, and when it was rendered into Greek, Judah became Judas. And, uh, but as you can imagine, with Judas Iscariot betraying Jesus, the name Judas, especially in the early church, like, it, probably, it carried a lot of baggage, right? Uh, for instance, you know, Peter and Jude were both written about the same time to the same people, and yet there are a lot of people today named Peter. But very few Judases are running around today, right? Do y'all know anybody named Judas? Um, There you go. Um, So when it came time for the Bible to be translated from Greek, where it's rendered Judas, into English, um, they, in, in an attempt to distance the author of this letter from the Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, um, they literally made up the name Jude. They just kind of like, you know, Bob is short for Robert. They, they literally just like, let's just call him Jude so people aren't confused. So that was fun this morning. I was like, Richard, what did you learn this week? Well, I learned that the name I call my son isn't even a name. It's just made up. <laughs> um, but look, for, to be consistent with hundreds of years of church history, um, we're just going to call him Jude instead of Judas, okay? Um, so technically, Judas was the name of the guy who wrote this, but we're just going to keep calling him Jude. Um, same person. Uh, all right, sixth thing, and, and this, is, this is the reason why people have such a hard time with Jude. Jude is the only author of Scripture to quote from apocryphal literature. He, he takes this literature that's not seen as inspired, and he quotes it, and he kind of acts like it is inspired. And these were ancient Jewish books of wisdom that were very important to the history and the culture of the Jewish people, because you've got to think, like, there was more than just the Old Testament written, you know, about the Jews. They had a lot, you know, very diverse uh, literature. Um, but these were books that weren't considered inspired by God, but they, but they were important, but they weren't seen as Scripture. And yet Jude quotes from two of these sources, and we'll talk about these as we get to them. And, and so the question always arises, is, all right, what does it mean when something that isn't Scripture is quoted in Scripture? Like, what does that do to that, that part? Well, that's easy, I guess. It, it becomes Scripture, right? When something that's not Scripture is quoted in Scripture, it becomes Scripture. And, and we see in, in Jude that his choice to include some material from this apocryphal source doesn't mean that he endorses all of it. 
It's like he takes the good and he throws out the rest and he uses the good for God's glory. And then uh, seventh, and this is the final thing here, um, this letter is unique uh, in that, as you saw here, Jude intended to write a completely different letter. Like, have you ever done that? Like, you sit down at your, you know, you're going to type an email, and it starts one way, but then it ends up like a completely different letter. Um, Would well, Jude uh, intend it to write a completely different letter? Verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to something else. Um, and so, like, his plan was to write about something different, but by the Spirit, he, he, he pivoted. Um, and so this letter became something else. And look, this is it's a small detail, but I think it's important for our lives. You know, if we get so locked in on our plans and our way, uh, and, and like, what does that say about our propensity to listen to the Spirit? You know, if we get so locked in on this is my plan and this is what we're going to do and come hell or high water, like this is it. What does that say? Because you, you know, when we follow Jesus, our identity changes, right? And our hope changes and our love changes. So why can't our plans change as well? Or maybe even like the purpose of your life change. And so, I, look, I know obviously we weigh, weigh this against God's word. It's not like... I like, you know, I used to think God wanted me to be a law-abiding citizen, but now, I don't know, I got this nudge that he wants me to rob a bank. Um, no, 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 you want to do that, right? Don't bring God into something like that. But what it is, it, it's more like, kind of like last year, March 15th, 2020, when we just shut everything down for COVID. Um, you know, we were scheduled, like we had the bulletin printed, like we were scheduled to, to finish the Reset Sermon Series, um, but then... Um, our world imploded with COVID. And it would be crazy, right, just to kind of carry on as if nothing had, had happened. And, and so given the situation, I think the session felt the pull, I felt the pull of, of God to just to pivot to a, a, just a whole new deal, uh, a, a sermon series on like how to live in uncertain times. And, and so like, if we get locked in on our plans, um, Maybe we're not following Christ as much as we're trying to blaze our own trail. Um, and so it, it's important to know that as we follow Christ and as we walk by faith, we may find ourselves going places we never imagined that we would be. Um, and so Jude listened to the Spirit, and he, he changed his plans for writing. Okay, so with all that as background, who is this letter written to? Um, like, like, who is called to contend for the faith? This is our second, second point, how we'll close. You know, it, it's tempting to think, most of us may even think at times, that this whole concept of, of defending the faith and apologetics, like, that's really reserved for the special forces type of Christian, right? These are for the people that, like, they go to college for theology and worldview and, and philosophy training. Like, they do the fighting, and we'll just, we'll just kind of carry on with our lives. But here... Jude says the only way you can say that, like the only way you get out of this call to contend for the faith is by not being a believer. Like we see this over and over again that there are no bench warmers in the kingdom. And so who is this to? He writes, this is to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept in Jesus Christ. Like I want those, right? But he's saying like the only way for you to get called and loved and kept 
then you also have to get contend as well, that these go, go together. Uh, and, and this is the first uh, triad, what, second, first triad that we mentioned. It, it's if you are a believer, this is who you are. You've got to see this as you go out into the world. This is who you are. You're called. And in the Bible, this doesn't mean that you were invited. Like God doesn't call you up on the phone and invite you out to, to dinner. Um, no, this is the effectual calling of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit comes into us and, and convicts us of our sin. And he woos us to the beauty of Jesus. It's as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Spirit. So the Spirit calls us, and this isn't like you're choosing God. Um, no, no, like, like long before you call yourself making a decision, like long before that, that moment happened, God called you. The Spirit wooed you. Um, he called you first. And I love how Charles Spurgeon put this, and we've probably all heard this. Charles Spurgeon said, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And, and he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me. For I could never find any reason in myself why he should look upon me with special love. You really, like, that's when it clicks. It's like, look, I, I, I have no, no clue. But God loves us because he loves us because he loves us. Um. So if you are a believer, you are so because God has called you. The fact that you believe is a gift of faith. That just doesn't happen naturally. And having called you, God, now you, you understand God's love. That he loves you just because. Because he does. Um, and in that love, you are kept for Jesus Christ. Like he holds you. And we, I know we, we kind of we say, man, I'm just holding on to Jesus. But really, we're holding on to the one who's holding on to us. That he keeps us. That even when we fall, then underneath are the everlasting arms of God. He's got you. He's got you. Um, that's who you are. But then finally, um, what do we have as believers? Not only who we are, but what we have. And this is uh, the second triad um, before we even get into the ring, before we go to battle, we've got to know what's in our arsenal. Uh, he says, in Christ we have God's mercy. That God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't treat us, you know, the shame, the guilt that we can feel. Like God's mercy treats us like we don't deserve on the cross. And this is why the, the, it's so beautiful. Like Jesus took the wrath that we deserve so that we could receive mercy. Um, like, like this is the message that people go out and die for. This is the hill we die for. We receive God's compassion. And when we have that, then that turns us loose. And that makes way to peace. I mean, look, if you're okay with God, then you're going to be okay, right? You're okay. And, and to be told then that we have to do anything else other than believe in Jesus... Like, those are fighting words to kind of to, to tweak the gospel a little bit. Like, no, that, that robs us of our peace. And, and then we see that that perfect peace with God gives way to love, that we actually can live our lives within and, and before the face of a loving God, 
because of Jesus. C.H. Dodd said, 